Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. Good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, Seb, another day, another Brexit discussion. It remains front and centre, of course, because the Prime Minister is going to meet the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen this evening, a little tete-a-tete dinner. Uh, They will discuss key issues like fishing and competition rules. Yep. How excited do we get about it? Of course, last time we saw Boris Johnson heading off to speak to a European leader, we got the withdrawal agreement as a result. Are we looking similarly optimistic this time around? That's one theme we'll get into throughout the programme. This after, you could say something of a climb down from the UK yesterday, the government agreeing to drop controversial parts of the internal markets bill, specifically those bits that broke or could break European uh, international law. The cabinet officer uh, minister there, Michael Gove, hoping that it will help negotiators to reach an agreement. We've agreed that. As a result, some of the the measures that we were putting forward, which uh, some in Europe had criticised, we no longer need to introduce those. And that means that uh, there is a smoother glide path towards a possible deal. Okay, a smoother glide path sounding good so far. Let's talk about this with Afzal Khan. He joins us now, Labour MP for Manchester, Gorton. Afzal, good to have you. So we've seen some movement then from the UK. Is it now time for the EU to step up and make concessions? Well, look, as far as I'm concerned, what we not need to see is a deal. Uh, it's in both sides' interest. Uh, clearly, we're getting to the wire now, and I do hope uh, there is a movement and we get a deal. Um, Afsal, good to have you on the programme. Does Britain need to soften the sovereignty argument that I hear again and again? Simon Coveney says that that is a difficult part of the agreement, or that is one kind of rub in this deal. Well, look, uh, I I think uh, it's been a difficult uh, journey for both sides. Uh, It's clear uh, Britain has taken the decision to leave. And I think ultimately it's in both sides' interest that they get a good deal. Uh, Both deal will work, a good deal will work for both sides. Uh, You know, we have a huge trade with one another. And I think if you think about COVID-19 and the whole impact that has economically is still unraveling, uh, it's even more important that we do get uh, that deal. So if we do get a deal then, Afzal, should Labour vote for it? The risk there, of course, is that the party risks sort of getting involved, tiring itself if things do go wrong. Well, I think we've been always clear that no deal is not in the interest of Britain. Uh, so then it depends what sort of deal it is. And I'm sure uh, the Labour Party will examine that deal. 
uh, and then take a decision. Uh, we don't uh, have the deal at this stage. Uh, we don't know what it's going to be like. Uh, and then, therefore, it's difficult to make comment at this stage. But uh, when we get there, we will cross that bridge. You can't be telling me that the Labour Party will decide to reject a deal that has taken eight months to negotiate that is going absolutely down to the wire. I mean, if you're talking about a deal like the day before Christmas, which it could well end up being, uh, is there going to be time for Labour to quibble? No, but I think the position is Labour has been absolutely clear uh, that for us, we think it's in the best interest of Britain and in the, for the Europe uh, that they have a deal. So we'd like to see the deal. But I think it's not fair for Labour Party to make a comment when we're not even a party to the deal. We don't know what ultimately that deal is going to be. And it's only fair once the deal is there that we examine that deal, then we may make a comment on it. And should Starmer be whipping his party to back this deal? I mean, we're seeing more and more reports. I'm looking at a story from The Guardian uh, yesterday that there are more members of the shadow cabinet who are expressing doubts around this strategy of backing any Brexit deal. I think the position at the moment is the Labour Party hasn't made their mind up. They will make their mind up once the deal is done. Uh, and we hope there is a deal. Uh, we've made it absolutely clear that not having a deal is not good for us. Uh, and we'll have to wait. And that's when we'll make a decision once the government comes back and tells us what the final position is. Okay, um, that on the Brexit um, deal and the Brexit negotiations. I'd also be very interested to understand your take on the vaccine. Obviously, yesterday was a huge day in the UK, um, you know, where we saw the first people vaccinated against COVID-19 um, and the rollout continues. But there has also now been this warning um, that the uh, health authorities don't want people who have significant allergies to take the covid um, jab is does that raise a red flag to you? Is that going to um, deter people from you know other people aside from people with just allergies from taking this vaccine at this critical juncture? Well, for me, uh, it's been nearly a year now uh, with the whole globally we've been dealing with the pandemic. It's had a huge impact. Uh, well over a million and a half lives have been lost. We've had a huge loss of life in Britain as well. And then, of course, we are also now discovering the huge impact economically as well. Uh, so the answer actually lies in vaccination. Uh, to I'm sure the scientists, the uh, medical profession, who are the experts in this field, this has been the sort of the hallmark in Britain that we will follow the expert uh, medical advice. And uh, this is exactly what we need to do. And uh, my understanding is the vaccination, broadly speaking, is uh, effective. Uh, it's going to give us uh, the result we want. Of course, with anything, there is always side effect. Uh, and that, of course, needs to be managed. And those experts are guiding us on that area. But broadly speaking, I think all of us should be encouraging the taking of the vaccination. Even at this stage where we're learning about adverse effects after the first vaccines have gone into people, I mean, we don't know what else could come out of this. Allergies could be relatively mild in terms of a response, but 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 who knows what else? Yes, and that is the job of the experts, those who are in scientists, those who are the medical profession. And I'm sure they're working and they have been working. They've done a huge test on this as well. And of course, who knows, you know, in the long-term point of view, uh, but uh, one thing is clear, isn't it? The further away it gets from the vaccination, and the uh, chances are it's likely to be small side effects, not huge. Anything huge will, will no, 
much sooner. And the fact that over 40,000 sampling has been done, uh, that hasn't shown. So I feel uh, comfortable, but I'm always guided by the experts in this uh, area. Yeah, two people have experienced a reaction to the Pfizer-BioNTech jab. So the NHS saying that people with a significant history of allergies should not currently receive the vaccine. In terms of the costs, you mentioned it, of the pandemic, enormous. A new uh, report out this morning from the Wealth Tax Commission calling for a 5% charge on people uh, with assets of more than half a million pounds. It would be spread out over five years. It would raise significant amounts of money for the Treasury. Are you in favour? I have not looked at this report. Uh, again, look, uh, this impact has been definitely huge. Uh, but what my personal concern would be that we've seen sort of 10 years of austerity policies, uh, which has actually made it difficult with lots of public services that we need. So what we need to be careful about this as well, that we further don't erode those facilities which all of us need. Uh, but of course, it's a question for the government in that sense uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen. I don't think the country needs more austerity policies. I mean, this is, uh, just to give you some context, Afzal, this is looking at uh, charges over half a million pounds. I mean, it's, it's talking about the people with the broader shoulders, indeed, that is the argument of the people who are putting this forward. So in, in theory, then, would you support some sort of wealth tax in order to redistribute? Because, I mean, there are people who have done very well out of the pandemic economically and then many, many others who have suffered. Well, I think those who have done well will surely be paying taxes as well. Uh, but what we need to ultimately make sure is that we keep an eye on the economy. We need to make sure the economy actually recovers quickly. The quicker the economy recovers, the more chances is that the government will be able to handle uh, the shortfall that they have. Afsal, you have launched a diverse curriculum charter to encourage schools in your constituency to show willingness to encompass diversity in their education. The Chief Inspector of Schools in England, Amanda Spielman, says that the curriculum should not be revised in the context of a single issue or purpose. Um, just tell us what you're trying to do. Well, I think uh, what we're trying to do is, what we've seen is, uh, with COVID-19, the issue is well, that it has shown a light on society which exposed uh, the many inequalities that are being experienced by people. And for me, uh, we have a responsibility to tackle that, uh, what we have discovered now. And that one of the areas, as you've seen in uh, Floyd George's situation in America, the Black Lives Matter, the whole global sort of movement that is developed, uh, and what it means ultimately in school's perspective is having curriculum which is fit for purpose. Uh, Manchester uh, is an amazing world-class city, which is uh, very rich and diverse. Uh, and we have always celebrated the diversity. And what we need to do is make sure that within our schools, we have this diverse curriculum idea, the charter which we agreed to, uh, and that will help. Uh, our students to be fit for the future as well. Uh, and also, I think it's the whole environment which we want to improve. Uh, so this uh, charter, what we have is, for example, to ensure in provisions which are wide ranging curriculum that reflects the makeup of our society. Uh, we want to review uh, some of the decision makers and academic sources that we contend with the curriculum as well. 
where uh, we provide, of course, this accessible, to, uh, accessible uh, with this, uh, information to uh, many of the students who attend there, equipping the staff as well with a yeah. better knowledge and tools. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And Caroline, we start with some news around vaccines. Yeah, so the NHS is warning people who have a significant history of allergies not to take the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. That's after two patients experienced reactions from the jab uh, after yesterday's rollout. Separately, the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine could be approved in Britain within days. So that would be a second vaccine after a major study, of course. The trial data was published in a peer-reviewed journal and it suggests that it's safe and effective. Professor Andrew Hill from Oxford University he also says that the vaccine is easier to handle. This vaccine is just going to be more available in larger numbers than any other vaccine that we have come across. And really importantly, no freezers are involved. So the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine um, has provided protection against severe COVID-19, but more analysis will be needed to see how well it works in older people, sir. Yeah, lots of questions around these testing uh, procedures in general and just how many people from older groups were used and whether they're representative and all of that uh, comes as infections are rising in London again, raising fears that the city could be placed into tier three when the government reviews its measures next week. The 16th, I think, is the date to have a look at all of the tiers and whether they're uh, representative. Boris Johnson warning Londoners and urging people to stick to the pandemic rules as the vaccine is rolled out. I am at about 50%, I think, in terms of week-on-week growth in Waltham Forest. And we had a very sternly worded email from the leader of our council telling us to follow the rules or we could end up getting upgraded. Nobody wants that. No, absolutely. A swift end uh, to the shops reopening and the pubs being available. Uh, right, devolution then. 40 local leaders have warned the Prime Minister that time is running out to, quote, save the United Kingdom. The group of many Labour politicians uh, says that support for Scottish independence should be a wake-up call for Boris Johnson to examine the constitutional status quo. Signatories led by the South Yorkshire Mayor Dan Jarvis include the Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham, also Sadiq Khan, London's Mayor of course, and they are calling for a review of how power is distributed. Oof, really the challenge uh, building from those regional mayors, the warning that the breakup of the 300-year-old union between Scotland, England, Wales and Northern Ireland was now a serious possibility. 
Yeah, I mean, you could take a very cynical look at this and see it as a strategic comms intervention by everybody <laughs> jumping on the opportunity to call for more powers for themselves as well as others. Uh, I will leave that up to you. And then we have the story about Parliament, which uh, could be better protected from protesters under new laws that the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, is drawing up. So this is in The Telegraph. It says that under these provisions, it will be illegal for activists like Extinction Rebellion to obstruct the powers of Westminster, the courts and the media. The flip side of this is how much of this is encroaching on people's right to protest always a very tricky balance isn't it i'm sure there'll be many mm-hmm. debates had around that yes absolutely especially uh, during this time of pandemic uh, it has been a big question right let's go back to brexit though the big story boris johnson heads to brussels to talk to Ursula von der Leyen over a nice uh, dinner that's as both sides try to salvage a deal by the end of the year boris johnson says that he's optimistic but that quote it is looking very very difficult at the moment and frankly we've had comments from everybody uh, today the irish uh, uh, and many so what happens if the threat of an acrimonious rupture between the UK and the EU becomes a reality. Let's bring in Bloomberg Opinion columnist Therese Raphael has been writing extensively on this matter for, what, years now, actually, Therese. Um, is it likely that there is really only one real deadline now, and that is the 31st of December? Yeah, absolutely. That is the one hard deadline. And you know, that's why this, this dinner tonight um, is so interesting, because, you know, one thing they could do, and I think, um, you know, is quite plausible, is that they could decide that negotiators ought to just keep plugging away, which signals that both sides are willing to make some compromises. And, and, you know, we can be sure that the negotiating teams have mapped out what the scope for compromise is. It's now a political decision. If Boris Johnson and Ursula von der Leyen say, we believe there's scope for compromise, they will send their negotiating teams back, we could see them working through the night and something being announced very, very soon, as soon as, say, Thursday morning, so that uh, it could be put before uh, European leaders at their council summit over the next uh, couple of days. The alternative to that is less clear. They could simply um, conclude that there is no immediate path to compromise, in which case, what do they do? Do they announce that um, and simply tell both sides to prepare for no deal now? And yet, as you say, we're not really at the last ditch yet, because December 31st is that. And, you know, would each Mm. side want to take the risk of closing the door completely? That's really hard to say. I think not. I think actually, you know, both sides at this point are also looking to avoid blame for a collapse in talks. So, you know, either we get the go-ahead and a deal, or I think we get something that's a lot more amorphous, and we continue to kind of, you know, stumble along until December 31st, but we'd have to conclude that no deal becomes much more likely uh, if they Mm. don't give that green light tonight. Yeah, I mean, Therese, I'm interested in what you say about blame, and it ties in with something I saw from Ivan Rogers, the former UK ambassador to the EU, who said that he thought that tonight's meeting is just another step in the UK strategy, which he thought was a blame game if there's no deal. They're not really interested in a deal at this point, but they just need to be showing that they're at the table. Does that give us cause perhaps to be more pessimistic about this? And it's just theatre and and, and sort of setting up for the inevitable rather than actually willingness to find a deal? Yeah, well, if we're looking for cause for pessimism, there's plenty of it out there, not least the fact that the two sides are really um, fundamentally 
in disagreement over um, these key issues of level playing field, um, uh, you know, and, and, the, and policing the agreement, uh, the UK will not, I mean, Boris Johnson will not come back from Brussels with anything that he can't sell as sovereignty reclaimed. And that's a problem for the EU since, you know, its bottom line is that any access to EU markets has to come with, with these uh, rules for fair competition. Is it theater at this point? I think they're very prepared uh, to have no deal. I think that it's not something that the uh, that Downing Street now regards as, um, you know, as, as either, uh, you know, something they, they won't do or that would be, you know, even, um, you know, that they couldn't sell it to the British people and to the party. Boris Johnson knows his party will swallow it. But, you know, ultimately, I think he'd much rather do what he did last year and come back with a deal and be able to just, um, you know, at the end of the year, mm. say we have just closed the Brexit, you know, issue, move into the new year. Interestingly, this this deal that that Michael Gove announced yesterday on yeah. the implementation that other I suppose, I mean, that's quite important because it it removes a big thorn in the side of UK-US relations. Remember, we had Joe Biden during the campaign saying that uh, warning against the internal markets bill that would breach mm-hmm. the uh, withdrawal agreement. They've now removed that. And some might argue that, you know, Brexiters will then say, look, no deal is not so scary, provided we haven't really upset everyone by breaching the withdrawal agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, you know, that agreement smooths the path to a deal, but it could equally uh, be seen as making no deal that much more, um, you, know, uh, you know, that much more appealing or, or less toxic, you could put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. On the internal market bill, climb down. Um Look, having said that, in the Sun newspaper, um, a quote from a minister saying that a climb down is likely. And you talked about theatre. I mean, fishing is theatre, much as, you know, many uh, people that I've spoken to sort of would protest that it is a real concern about fishing communities. Uh, You know, we all know that it makes zero economic difference, really, or or very, very little. Gove says that there's scope to do something on fishing. I mean, it just seems like a kind of bargaining chip or... Uh, but is there a likely to be a climb down on that? And then on the other side, will, will Tory MPs accept that? Well, fishing was the one area where the UK had the most leverage because it's, you know, the, the majority of fishermen uh, that, that the EU fishermen are uh, harvesting are in, are in UK waters. So the way the EU tried to neutralize that was to link the fishing solution to all of the other talks. So instead of uh, carving it out as, as Britain wanted to do, they've linked it. Um, but you know, it's no, I think, surprise that there is room on fishing um, to negotiate. And the way uh, that that would happen is for Britain to be able to, to, to say that it's reclaimed uh, complete sovereignty over its coastal waters and yet has let let the EU um, have an agreement which prolongs the, you know, part to the current arrangement. So I think they, they see their way to a deal there. The question is whether um, that opens up scope for compromise on level playing field and on how the whole agreement will be governed, uh, which is also the, the, uh, a point of contention. And then, Therese, if we do get a deal, how does Boris Johnson play this? I mean, we're getting quotes both on and off the record, left, right and centre from Tory backbenchers, and they're quite divergent in terms of what they want, what they would support. How split is the Conservative Party really? And how difficult is it going to be for Boris Johnson to get something past them? 
Right. So this isn't the situation facing Theresa May by any means. I mean, there's no question that whatever Boris Johnson comes back with, let's say, you know, that there is some kind of a deal that is reached, there will be a minority in the Conservative Party who will declaim it as a sellout. There's no question that Nigel Farage will, will, will pop up with his new party and say that sovereignty has not been reclaimed, that at the last minute Boris Johnson blinked. But, you know, Let's be realistic. He still has an 80-seat majority in Parliament. The Labour Party, most voters want this, um, you know, want this settled. And I don't think he's going to have a problem uh, getting it through Parliament. And then, you know, yes, it will be a, uh, you know, whatever arrangement has been made will be weaponized against him by those who, you know, who want to uh, undermine him in the future. I don't think Europe goes away as an issue. But I also don't think that he has anything like the problems Theresa May had in getting a deal Parliament. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.